Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. We'll never know our full potential unless we push ourselves to find it. And that's a quote by Travis Rice. I want to thank you all for joining me on this episode. I am Lucy, of course. Little FYI, every month I open my schedule up for five free strategy sessions. So if you are ready to reach your fullest potential, you can apply for a complimentary Create the Business of Your Dreams session. You can either go to lucydumascoaching.com, Lucy, with an I, or you can email me at lucy at lucydumas.com. Just uh, get in touch, and then I'll be in touch. So I'm super excited about my next guest. Tom Singer is obsessed with getting people to take actions that lead to success. One of his quotes he loves to say is that potential does not equal performance. He earned his CSP, Certified Professional Speaking Degree. Tom, is that a degree or, well, I guess it's a certification. Certification. Certified Speaking Professional. Okay. In 2014, he's an author of 12 books, 12. He has been a keynote speaker on leadership for 10 years, a TED Talk presenter, and he has a great podcast called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And that focuses on how the most successful people get the farthest across the gap between potential and results. If you'd like to get in touch with Tom, either to hire him as a keynote speaker or listen to his podcast or his YouTube, you can go to TomSinger.com. Tom is spelled with an H, so it's T-H-O-M and then Singer, S-I-N-G-E-R.com. His podcast is Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do Podcast, and I'm sure he has a link to his TED Talk at TomSinger.com. So welcome, 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 Tom. Hi, Lucy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for saying yes. So a little um, <laughs> something, a little serendipity. Tom and I were at a conference last week that was all about podcasting. There were 50 podcasters or more there. There were people who wanted to learn about how to be great on podcasts. So I thought it'd be nice to um, get some people on my show that were not photographers to share their wisdom and expertise. And Tom said yes. <laughs> and then turns out Tom was a photographer for 10 years. <laughs> so can you tell me a little about this? Yeah, my first job. Well, actually, when I was in college, I worked for an event photography company. So I was taking pictures at fraternity and sorority parties at colleges all across Southern California, working for a guy who owned a small business that that's what they did. They did the parties. They did the group shots on sorority bid day. They also did some corporate events and other large groups. And along the way, I sort of taught myself to photograph weddings. One day, a girl who I went to college with was getting married soon after she graduated. And she asked me to be her photographer. And I said, Gail, I can't be the photographer at your wedding. I have never done that. And she said, you've done all my bid day sorority big group shots and all the parties the whole time I was in college. What's different for a wedding? It's just 
you know, some group shots and a party. Uh-huh. And I was like, whoa, you're right. And so I started a, a photography business on the side that was my own and uh, ended up doing 150 weddings over about 10 years wow. and then went on after college to manage two different photography studios for about four years before kind of leaving that business behind. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea. Uh, so where was that? Uh, it was in San Diego, California is where I started. Oh. And then I moved up to uh, the San Francisco, San Jose area. And then Austin, Texas was, uh, I managed a company for a year in Austin. Huh. Well, I'm surprised we hadn't uh, run across each other before now because I'm in San Diego and I did weddings for 12 years. Yeah, well, this was 30 some plus years ago. I've been out of school for a long time. I'm old. Yeah. Well, I started my business 37 years ago. Well, we were there at the same time. I worked for a company called California Candids. Oh, yes. I know them quite well. <laughs> so that is very interesting. Um, can you share a little about where you went after that and how you got to be the great and famous <laughs> Tom singer? Yeah, so, so I ended up moving to Austin, Texas to manage a photography studio that was similar to the ones that I worked for in California. And about a year after getting here, that company kind of went through some changes and downsized. And uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, and I decided we liked Austin and that we were going to stay in Austin. So I ended up going into sales and I worked in a lot of different jobs. I kind of bounced around for five or six, seven years. And then I ended up selling to law firms. I ended up having a job where my clients were major law firms. And one of the law firms came to me after a couple of years and said, we'd like to bring you on staff to teach our lawyers how to do sales and how to do business development. And I ended up as the business development director for Texas for two different law firms for the next five years. And after that, you know, I kind of got this bug where I liked doing the training more than I liked doing the actual work. And so I started speaking and training on the side. And after a couple more years, I ended up becoming a full-time professional speaker, which led to my podcast. And that's all that I've done now for coming up on 11 years. Mm. And what do you love most about it? Well, number one, I like working for myself. I like the fact that I have good years and I have bad years, but the buck always stops on my desk. You know, I can't blame your boss when you are the boss. Right. So uh, <laughs> you know, I, I like that part of it. The other thing that I really like is I know I'm making a difference. I know I'm good at what I do. I'm not lost in a bureaucracy. And when I get the chance to speak for, like I, I do a lot for associations and companies at sort of annual conferences. And, you know, when someone in the audience comes up to me and said, that was the message I needed to hear. You know, I didn't get that when I was in a sales and marketing job. So super rewarding to know that you're making a difference in people's lives. It sounds like. Yep. Yeah. I feel the same, you know, as I've transitioned from being a full-time portrait photographer to being primarily a business coach for photographers. It's super exciting to have people share that that same thing that their business has grown they're living their potential yeah i'm with you on that so one of the biggest challenges and i'm sure you understand this having been in the industry is getting great leads for photographers i know this is one of your superpowers and i know that my listener is like perking their ears up Because I know that one of the primary problems that people say all the time is, how do I get clients? So can you give us some overview, some practical ideas, some marketing tips? Can you share your wisdom? Sure. I mean, both as a photographer and now as a professional speaker and trainer, 
my business always came through word of mouth. And I think that anytime you're in a services industry, and it doesn't matter if you're a consultant or you're a business coach or you know, you're speaking at conferences or you're a photographer, the word of mouth piece, even in a digital world where we have so many, everybody's so concerned with likes, links, shares, and follows, we still go down to the way people find the people they work with, especially for these important things. Like if you're looking for a photographer, and I know people who listen to your show do all types of photography, but we'll just use wedding photography as an example. If I'm having a wedding photographer, I've got one shot at that. It's a lot like having a keynote speaker for a conference with a thousand people. I've got one keynote spot. If that person flops, it's going to undermine the entire event. Same thing is true with your wedding. If the photographer's photos are horrible, that's all you get to take with you forever. You don't get to redo the wedding. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's definitely a word of mouth type thing. People want to see that they're not the first person that you've worked for. They want to see, you know, samples of your work. And they want to talk to somebody who they trust who says, oh my gosh, you know, Becky was so fabulous to work with. So one of the things that I have really found through this whole journey of my career, which has been very eclectic, has been that all opportunities in life come from people. And like I said, I did 150 weddings just as a side job. I mean, I had a full-time job in photography and then full-time career outside of photography while I was doing weddings. And I was doing more than one a month, which was great as sort of extra side money for me. Mm -hmm. And almost all of them, I mean, there were some exceptions. I did a little bit of advertising and it was the early days of, of the internet. So I bought some ads on like literally when the knot first came out. I was one of the first people to sign up on there. Um, now it would cost you a lot of money, but back then it was, I think, free or very cheap. And I got a couple of local leads from that. But really, most of the thing was somebody was getting married and they would say, oh my gosh, Sally, I love your pictures. Who was it that you worked with? Or they you know, talk to their friends and go, you guys have been to a lot of weddings this year. You know, Who do you think had the best photographer? Because the truth is having great pictures is only part of having a wedding photographer, Part of it is, is that the person has to have a really good personality. We've all been to weddings where the photographer was a jerk and everyone talks about it. So I positioned myself that I was a nice guy. I like to have fun. And because I grew up in the industry taking pictures at sorority parties, I knew how to capture the reception better than anyone they could hire. There wasn't a single, there were people who took more beautiful group shots and pictures of the rings. I would tell people there was nobody they were going to find who would be more engaged in their reception because I started as a party photographer. Well, most photographers didn't want, this is still in the days of film, they didn't want to burn a lot of film on the reception because they didn't think that people would buy those pictures. They thought they only bought the pictures of the bride, the groom, her family. I would sell hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of extra dollars of reception pictures because what I would tell people is the most money you spent was to feed these people. You have to have a picture of every one of them in your mm. album. And then I would walk around and my trick, and I'll give this to anybody who photographs weddings today, my trick was you got 400 people at a wedding. How do you know you're going to get a picture of everybody and how are you not going to miss that special aunt or uncle? So my trick was remember what the women are wearing. And then do couples and group shots. And throughout the night, make sure that you've photographed the woman in the pink dress, the person in the red dress, the person in the blue dress. And if you could remember that, because the men are all in blue suits. So you're not going to remember with 200 people if you photographed, you know, Bob versus Gary. Right. But throughout the night, you can say, oh, wow, I haven't seen the woman in the peacock dress before. And you could walk up to the group she's standing in. And even if the other people have already been in pictures, it doesn't matter. I'd say, hey, let's get a group shot of all six of you. Path. And then by the end of the night, I had almost everybody. Of course, there were times I, I missed somebody and they're like, oh, you didn't get Anne Ethel. Well, you know, she was probably out drunk behind the barn. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
but but the fact was is that I positioned myself and I had a, a decent personality. I excited them about what their party photography was going to look like. In fact, many times I was hired in addition to the photographer they hired to do the formal portraits because they said, oh my gosh, you know, his stuff is so beautiful. And often they were better photographers than I was. And they go, but you're right about the reception and he doesn't know how to do it or she doesn't know how to do it. So I would sometimes be hired as a second photographer, which for the record, never made the main photographer happy. But you know, those recommendations came because of personality and because I would plant the seed with people. If you know anybody getting married, tell them I exist. Mm -hmm. So I hear that a lot, word of mouth. But how do you start getting the word? Because I could go do a portrait of a friend and then sit in my house and wait for the phone to ring. And unless I'm the cheapest in town, the phone's not going to ring. So to me, it is a proactive word. So can you tell me how a person gets that buzz going? Sure. Well, you can't just take the picture of the friend and expect that friend to go tell anybody. They might, but they might not. So right. you have to go out and do a lot of work, whether it's high paid work, low paid work, especially if you're starting out, just say yes to everything because you need to be working. Working leads to working. There's a thing about momentum. However, the other thing is, is you've got to be networking, which means you've got to go. If, if you do, you know, corporate portraits for like law firms and banks and stuff for their website, if that's the type of work you do, you'd better get involved with the Chamber of Commerce. If you do wedding events, you'd better join a meeting planners group, you know, a wedding planners group. If you're not showing up physically and meeting the people who can either hire you or refer you, then you're going to be out of sight and out of mind. When people are making a decision on any service that they buy, and photography is no different, they're going to narrow it down to two or three people who they're going to put on the short list. And they're only going to sit down face-to-face -face with two or three. Now, you might say, oh, no, in my type of thing, they interview four. Okay, that's awesome. Let's just say it's three. If you're not one of those three and, you know, you live in San Diego, how many photographers are there in San Diego? Six? Twelve? Uh, Thousand? I did, so in 92104, that's my zip code, Tom, I Googled photographers on the map. Guess how many came up? I'm in, not a lot. 887. So just in your zip code, yes. there's 800 plus photographers. So here's the thing. If I'm only going to talk to three in that zip code, if you're not doing all the little things to make sure that your name's going to show up over here, over there, including online, maybe you need to be on podcasts, maybe you need to be blogging, maybe you need to look into how you do SEO, maybe you're buying some Google ads. Because if I see your name two or three times as I'm poking around to decide who's on the shortlist, your odds of making the shortlist are a lot better. And if someone around town goes, oh my gosh, Lucy's fantastic, then you're definitely on that list. So it's not just any one thing. You've got to do a constant drip campaign to get your name out there. And if you're not doing something every week, maybe two or three times to put yourself in front of people in your business community, and you're just hiding in your studio, your phone's never going to ring. Right. So what I'm hearing is that word of mouth to you is a very proactive search for people who have mouths <laughs> that would tell others about you. So I would summarize it as building relationships with. You have to people. build relationships. It's really about building a personal brand. And there's no one thing that is your personal brand. That's in person. It's online. It's what other people say about you. It's your marketing materials. It's your website. It's the work that you've done. And it's that buzz. And the thing is, is that if you have a good personality and you like people, 
then people are going to come around and some of them are going to like you back. And when they like you back, they're going to tell someone else about you. Mm -hmm. I found with weddings, well, I was a natural networker without knowing it was a thing. <laughs> you know, if I worked for somebody that I loved their flowers or their cake or, you know, any of the multiple services, I would tell every bride that I talked to from then on about them. And then work started coming back to me through those services. And then I, start a, I have to stop you because you bring up the most important point. Here's a question to everyone who's listening who thinks, I don't really get that many referrals. When's the last time you referred somebody else, be it a dressmaker, be it a, a cake baker, be it somebody else who touches your industry, whatever type of photography you do, there's other vendors that touch those same clients. When's the last time you referred someone and they got the business? If you can't remember the answer, why would you think anyone would ever refer you? You have to lead by example, which means I do it all the time. I refer other speakers. People are like, why would you refer your competitors? Well, because I'm not the right fit. If somebody calls and says, we're looking for a woman to be our keynote speaker this year because we've only had middle-aged white guys. Well, I'm a middle-aged white guy. I would love the gig, but I know that's not what they're looking for. So I refer them a whole bunch of people. Well, guess what? I win because they're going to come back to me next year. So I'm really happy to hear you bring that up because I think that givers receive, especially uh -huh. if they're giving because they sincerely want to support others, not because they're <laughs> wanting tit for tat. Well, and you can't keep score. I mean, sometimes you give seven to 10 times before anyone gives to you. And then the person who gives to you wasn't even one of the seven or 10 people you helped. Right. It's someone who just saw you because the fact of the matter is, is that some of the people you help aren't going to be able to give. Some people don't know how to give. But if you're just constantly finding ways to give, it's going to raise you up. So it, and it works with even in the, the internet world. Are you retweeting? Are you liking other people's stuff? Are you just putting your own stuff out there? You know, I find it all the time that like people are like, well, I don't want to retweet another, you know, another person who's in my industry because then they'll get the eyeballs. Well, no, if you retweet them, it shows them that you're a giver and then they're going to find a way to help you. You know, I, I promote everybody. I noticed that about you, Tom, um, your generous spirit at the event that we were at and I've followed you some. So I think that you and I are on the same page about that there's this sort of universal principle or the law of the universe that supports us when we're supporting others. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, I think that the world has gotten tired of takers. And I think that people who are givers are getting more noticed than ever. I noticed that um, in, as I've been doing my podcast, that many of the people who I've followed that have been very successful, we get to that point where we talk about their generosity and things that they've done to help others and how that kind of turned the tide on their um, business. And I know that's, that was a topic of your TED talk and I know that's dear to your heart. So can we chat about that a little bit? Yeah. So I had the, the honor about a year and a half ago to do a TEDx talk and it's called the art of giving small. So many times people think, well, I'm going to wait till I'm really successful and then I'll give back. When I first started speaking, I was doing it part-time, maybe 12 or 13 years ago. We just pledged a couple of percentage points every time I got paid to a charity. And we started what we call the Kate Singer Endowment for Craniofacial Surgery and Research because my youngest daughter was born 
needing some pretty serious surgery when she was an infant. And we didn't have a state-of-the-art children's hospital at the time, 17 years ago, in Austin, Texas. So we ended up having to look around the country for where was the best possible doctors, most state-of-the-art facilities. And we ended up at Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego. And we were very fortunate. Kate had her entire skull rebuilt and uh, the bones grew back. And she's now a high school senior. She's a straight A student. She's got, you know, really high test scores. She's got her whole life ahead of her in that time away. She has no repercussions and no memory of what she went through as a baby. Of course, of course, her mother and I will never forget. And so we wanted to find a way to give back. And we thought, oh, we'd raise a few hundred dollars. And we didn't realize my speaking career would become my full-time career. We didn't realize that I would be successful. And you fast forward 12 years or whatever it's been, and it's now added up to over $70,000 that we've donated and raised for research for kids born with cranial facial abnormalities. And I don't get anything from giving this money, but it's amazing to me that we've been able to do it in $50 checks, $100 checks. So what I teach people is, Find something you care about and give time or money or support over the long haul. Make it a long tail play and you'll be blown away by how much impact you'll have 12 years later. I love that story. I don't love the part that you went through as a family, but how starting little had such like a snowball. And as your business grew, you were able to contribute more. Can I tell you a little story? Please. So 1998 was a big downturn time for a while in my industry. And I spent that time getting organized and doing all kinds of other things because I knew it would pop back. And my heart started telling me that I needed to be of service to children with my photography. And I'll tell you a story over coffee sometime when we get together about the whole magical part of this. But what I ended up doing was photographing children in foster care who are ready to have uh, forever homes. Hmm. We did a calendar and we did that for two years. And one of the creative benefits was that I had no, I had no buyer over my shoulder that I was trying to please. So I was able to photograph the way that I thought would let people know that these children were huge, beautiful souls. And the first year, all the kids got homes. And the second year, all but this one sibling group that, frankly, people thought I created a miracle when I was able to get all four together. Mm-hmm. Um, and right after... And I both years I donated a month's worth of work to the organization. For the second year, they paid me a little bit because they wanted to, but basically, I got paid for an hour of work for a month of work. Within a week, I got a call from Amy Mickelson, Phil Mickelson's wife, the golfer. Sure. And I became their family photographer for eight years. Wow. she probably has 50 wall portraits. Some of them are now probably packed up in the garage and she rotates them. But I see that as a direct connection that I served because I was called to and I was rewarded out of the blue without any work on my part. So yeah, I think I really do believe in that principle of 
not giving to get, but that when we have a generous spirit and we're, we serve others, there's some force that's like really grateful and is going to show up and give us some uh, goodies in return. Yep, I agree. So, so I know that networking is your jam. So before we run out of time, I would love to hear more about networking, especially these days, it seems a lot of photographers are saying that they're, they have social anxiety, they, they don't know what to do uh, at a networking event, they don't want to even pick up the telephone, they want to do everything by text. Mm-hmm. So I would love to tap into your genius on that. Well, the, the first thing is I think society has done a disservice to the introverts. So we celebrate the extroverts and people think if I go to a party and I'm not the life of the party, then I suck. And the reality is, is that half the population are introverts. So, you know, if you just start and look around, if you feel a little bit more introverted, you know, realize that you're in a giant pool of over half the population. So it's, it's not an insult or a, a bad thing to be more introverted. And here's the thing, being an introvert versus being an extrovert isn't about liking people or liking the party more or less. It's really about where do you get your energy? Studies have shown that introverts feel drained after going to one of these business functions and having to talk to so many people, whereas extroverts, they get charged up by it. Now, I'm an extrovert. I get really excited about going to something like that. I come home fired up, mm-hmm. but I'm married, I'm married to an extreme introvert. I understand how draining it can be to go to these things. But here's the thing. Number one, once you know that that's true, then you do something before you go to the party or after, depending on your own needs, to recharge your batteries. So if you're going to go to a big event and you know it's going to drain you, make sure you have a couple hours beforehand to go for a walk by yourself or read a book. Or afterwards, you go to the spa or you just sit at home you know, with your spouse and have a glass of wine and don't have to talk to anybody. So know, know yourself and be true to yourself, but there's nothing that replaces that face-to-face, human-to-human engagement. And in fact, in a world where we have moved so much to these social media tools, people feel more disconnected than ever before. A like, a link, a share, and a follow is not a relationship or a business relationship. It's simply a digital click. So we need to remember that, that just because you're connected to somebody or you know their text number doesn't mean that you have that connection to them. There was an article about a year and a half ago, maybe two years, in the Harvard Business Review. And it was by a gentleman named Vivek Murte. And he was the, I think I got his name pronounced correctly. He was the Surgeon General under President Obama. And he wrote an article that I understand he is now turning into a full book called The Epidemic of Loneliness. Mm. He talked about the fact that today, people have more social anxiety and feel more disconnected from everybody around them than ever before in history, which you know shocks some people because they think, yeah, but we have LinkedIn, they're my Facebook friend but that really doesn't mean anything. So if you're one of those people who says, yeah, I just don't like doing those things, that's okay. You don't have to like it. I don't like eating vegetables either. I don't like going for a run, you know, four days a week, but it's what I have to do at my age to keep from getting fat and, you know, dying early, I guess. So, you know, just because you, oh, I don't like going to networking events. Well, do you like having a business that might grow? No, I would rather my business collapses. Fine, stay home. Mm-hmm. But if you really are saying, I want to grow my business and I'm in a business where relationships can help, then you're going to have to go out and find a way to build relationships. And one way to do it, if you don't like the schmoozy cocktail party scene, is volunteer. Join 
some things. Join an association in your industry and get on the board, get on a committee because then you work together with other people. And when you work together with other people, they find out who you are at your heart and soul. If you're a good person at your heart and soul, they're going to know that and they're going to want to work with you. The truth is, if you're a jerk, this is never going to work for you. So, you know, you've got to make a decision, A, who am I? B, what do I want to accomplish? And C, what am I willing to do to get it? Totally makes sense. So, Tom, did when you lived in San Diego, did you ever attend the professional photographers of San Diego County meetings? Uh, I did not. That was sort of, I was young. I was still in college when I lived in San Diego. So I, I don't think I understood the, the business priorities of getting involved. But, but I think my friend Kevin McElwain, I think his company is Stone's Throw Images. I, th- I think he's involved in San Diego. Huh. Yeah. I don't know if I've met him. Um, but the reason that came to mind is that I have watched people who show up and they are clearly introverts and they, they don't have a strong business sense. And they get encouraged to be on committees to serve the organization. And I watch them blossom like flowers. Absolutely. That's, that's what happens. We all have to start somewhere. I mean, I, I didn't know how to go to a networking event 25 years ago and now I do. So it's just a matter of doing now, again, like I said, if it's not something you love, that's okay. Just remind yourself sometimes to run a business. You know, I have a friend who manages a whole bunch of people and he does not like managing people, but guess what he gets to do every day? Cause he has a big company. He gets to manage people. Well, that's just part of, you know, the work you have to do to grow your company. And so, right. you know, a lot of people hide behind the fact they go, oh, I'm, I'm more of an introvert. That's not my thing. Well, there's a lot of introverts who are making a lot of money yes. because they've learned to be able to show up and network and networking has nothing to do with an extra being an extrovert or an introvert. It just means showing up and learning about people and finding way to serve others. Right. And I think that over time, like what I see in this photography group, which I'm actually the longest active member of the group now, not the oldest, but the longest active member (laughs) is that people settle into it and they actually begin to enjoy it and become more social and comfortable with it and actually they're not just always gritting their teeth. They're actually finding it fun. Yep. Yep. So, well, I have loved, loved, loved this conversation. Well, thank you for having me on your podcast. This has been a lot of fun. Is there anything else, any hot tips, any thoughts, anything you'd like to share before we wrap up? You know, I think it goes back to something I said earlier, and that's that all opportunities in life come from people. And if you believe that, I mean, the chair you're sitting in is a great chair. It hasn't collapsed during this, <laughs> you know, it's great, but it's not going to ever refer you business and opportunities do come from people. And if, if anybody listening agrees with that, find a way to, you know, get out of your studio and get in front of people, you know, help others succeed in what they're trying to do. There's, you know, there's an old saying that the more you help others get what they want, the more they're going to help you get what you want. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Um, I have a, an ebook in case listeners have not downloaded it called 10 big ideas for marketing high-end photography in the real world. And probably at least eight of those 10 are things where you need to get out of your chair and get out into the world. So you preach into the choir here, Tom, and I hope I know actually that um, people are going to get a lot of value out of listening to this and thinking about how they can stretch out of their comfort zone and, and get more mouths (laughs) talking about them. So, um, so 
Tom, I want to thank you so, so much. I got a lot out of what you said. I know the listeners will as well. And listeners, stay tuned for my little wrap up. Um, so once again, let's say thank you. Yay, Tom. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Show. Have a great week. So I hope you got as much out of the conversation with Tom Singer as I did. And just a quick little wrap up. Uh, we talked about marketing and some about networking and the power of giving. And what I found interesting is that he said some of the best marketing is word of mouth. And I've always heard that as you just need to be doing good photography and people will tell others about it. What I got was that he said all opportunities in life come from people and that we have to get out in the world and find people who will talk about us, that we need to create a buzz about ourselves, that it's not a passive form of marketing. And so that led into conversations about networking and how getting out and learning to be comfortable and volunteering, getting on committees, doing things that for people who are introverts and uncomfortable, positioning ourselves in a way that will, um, where we're not just sitting there trying to smile and make new friends, how there's high value in that. And then uh, the conversation about giving in even just small increments. When you listen to his TED Talk, you'll hear how his, his donation plan started small. And then as his business became more successful, he was able to donate more to this Radies Children's Hospital that um, helped his child. So his suggestion is to find something that you care about and give. And we talked about how doing those activities makes you a magnet for success. So I didn't use the word, but that's what I feel is that people who have a generous spirit, there is space then to receive more. And I don't know who sends it our way, the universe or our intentions or um, little angels or just coincidence. I don't know how it happens, but it does seem that big givers are um, people who are big receivers. So thanks again for rating, reviewing, all that good stuff so more people can learn about this podcast. That's it for now. Bye. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one -on -one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.